Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, welcome back to another bonus episode of the podcast. This is Rich Langton, your host. I'm so pumped that you're here and you're listening. I hope you enjoyed our previous bonus episode with JD and Taya. That was a blast talking about the new United album, People. So if you haven't heard that one, go check that out. But this week, this is for all of you creative leadership junkies, for you people who run creative teams at your church, or maybe you're just a really passionate creative leader in your sphere. We took all of the questions that you guys asked in season four, added them all together and answered them all in one giant size bonus episode. As you're listening, if you want to jump ahead, if you want to see the questions that we're answering, then on your Apple podcast app, just swipe up. You can see the questions marked out as chapters and you can select one of the chapters and listen to that specific answer or, you know, jump all over around the place if you want to, or you can just listen from start to finish. You jump into it, and I hope they're really helpful for your creative leadership. Samantha has asked this question. She says, how do I ensure that every volunteer on your team catches the creative vision? So in our church, there isn't really a creative vision. There's um, a church vision, and we find a way to play a part in outworking the church's vision. I think for us, this is constant, like, Casting vision is actually week in, week out, day in, day out, every meeting, every prayer meeting, every green room gathering, every team night, every everywhere we go is to continue to articulate. We gather in order to build the church, see Jesus made, known, Mm. um, stir your craft, put your gift to use. Whatever those things are, we are constantly articulating and re-articulating those things. Mm. I don't think people get it. The first time. Mm. And in fact, I think when you go to buy a product, they say you have to have seen something seven times before you even register that you've seen it. Mm. And I would say to leaders who get frustrated, they feel like they have to articulate over and over again, that is the role of leadership, just to keep finding new ways of saying the same thing over and over and over so people hear. Mm. And so then from that perspective, we also might use um, not just speaking the vision, right. you not just tell them, yep, good. but there's yeah. other ways, right? Right. So we um, were reading an article once and it said you need to communicate widely and diversely and use every aspect that's available to you. So I think for us as a team we use um, meetings where we speak but we use visuals, we use um, blogs, Instagram, social media, yeah. um, all sorts of different places to continue to speak vision, mm. emails, updates, newsletters, planning centre, like all sorts of different places. Mm. And I think the beautiful thing for us is actually we have a really strong leadership core. And so then you have a lot of people using different vocabulary to say the same thing. So people are hearing it from our production team, our TV team, our musicians, our singers, our vocalists, our photographers. And everybody is reinforcing the same thing. We have a strong culture at Hillsong Church, which is driven top down. Mm. And so we take our lead from our senior pastors and that actually helps to make sure that the same message is going through our team. Mm. Um, I was just thinking about another aspect of that. It might be that Samantha is asking about the creative vision for a particular moment. So in other words, um, you're trying to get something across on a Sunday How do we make sure that... (laughs) This is awesome because this is actually like one of the things that we've been talking about at the moment is making sure that our creative process is really clear. Mm -hmm. 
And we have had moments, which I'm sure everybody else has, where because it's creative, it's really subjective. So when I tell you what I see, you don't necessarily see what I see. You see what you see. Yes. And so we have learned that the documentation process, actually putting things on paper, is a really important part of making sure everybody clearly gets a vision. Mm. So for all of our special events and um, albums, all sorts of things that we do, there is definitely a brief document that goes out that talks in a really clear sentence about what the vision is. Mm. Generally we name things. So at the moment we're working on a creative um, brief for Colour Conference and Mm -hmm. it's called Eden Restored. So the the name of it gives you a picture of where you're headed and then it's got a two-line summary of what we're trying to achieve and then there is mood boards and you know everything you're going to see from song treatments to costumes to what's happening on stage to what the video will look like and there is a really clear brief of what you can expect. Mm. Now then I have learned (laughs) (laughs) that what it looks like on paper can be really different to what it looks like when it gets created. Right. So then we have started to put some checks and balances in place. We go, we need um, some input at different phases of the project to make sure we are all on track, all on target and delivering to brief. Mm. Yeah. And so that actually helps us. Mm. And so then alongside that we have meetings to make sure that all of the key stakeholders are in right. uh, in the loop yep. and hopefully that then there's not one area of the team that's left out and who are sort of gone off on their own tangent. 100%. Last night we actually, um, we have Vision Sunday coming up. We all sat in a room, we had a meeting and it was surprising to see the holes mm-hmm. because everybody just assumes somebody else has told something. Mm. And then we went and stood in a room and all together as a team we watched what we're going to deliver so that there was very clear communication and understanding around what was happening. Because yep. I think often when you try to use your words, there's just room for misinterpretation. Mm. Yep. So, Samantha, I hope we've answered your question. We've gone down a couple of different rabbit warrens there, uh, but hopefully we've answered the question and we really appreciate you taking the time to ask it. Okay, so another question, Cass. Yeah. How do you raise and release the next generation of leaders? I love that question. <laughs> I feel like that's top of my mind at the moment. Um, mm. We've been talking about the year of Alfred, right, on that, <laughs> at team night. But one of the things that I have in my heart this year is that we would take more risks and risks on people. It's real easy to play it safe in the church and to get to a certain age and think that um, – It's their time and their opportunity. But church is always meant to be generational. Mm. Um, The disciples were young. Mm. Mary was young. David was young. And God called them and had a plan for them, not exclusive to the fact that they were little, but inclusive of that. And I think as a team, we actually have to make room for the generation to come in and play their part and get excited about the kingdom. Mm. So I think we have a responsibility to look younger, to actually look at who's coming through and You don't mean, sorry to interrupt, but you don't mean look younger as in appear to be younger. You mean find younger people. No, I mean physical age. Like we should be empowering, I think, 
13, 14, 15-year-olds to come through on our worship platform and to play their part in video editing and on front of house desks. And we should be looking for skills and gifts and talents in that generation and putting it to good use in our kids' ministry, youth ministry, and on our platforms. Mm. I think it is so fun to feel like God could use you to play a part in building the church. Mm. So um, next week at Team Night, we have two young guys leading worship. They're 17 and 18. They've never led before in their life. It's Isaac Fisher and Ella Farr, and they're good kids. They've got the call of God on their life. They're amazing. They've been faithful in youth. And we can take a risk (laughs) because we're really used to having JD and Jad and the United guys and all sorts of incredible worship leaders on the platform who have Mm. great authority and great command over a room. I expect when they lead, it won't be like when those proficient guys lead. I think we'll have a lot of mistakes. I think that maybe it won't feel as incredible as what it feels when those other guys Mm. lead. And I'm okay with that. I actually think that is part of the learning process. Mm. And I think something in their sweetness and their humility and us being committed to the future Mm. will make room for that in our team. Mm. And and. We utilise team nights for that sort of thing, 100%, right? 100%, mm. right. But I think that there's a way of thinking about who can you partner with people? Who am I mentoring? Who am I discipling? Mm. And look at people in our team and pull them alongside you. Mm. Our daughter is 15 and her friends are currently doing work experience and a lot of them want to come and do work experience at church with us. And mm. I think that's exciting because I think in that age group, there are a lot of creative ideas and ways of looking at the world Mm. that if we're not so self-absorbed and thinking that we know it all, we could harness Mm. and we could put to great use in the church because the truth is at the moment we have to reach that generation Mm. and they have a different way of thinking about life and they will be uniquely graced to reach their generation with Mm. the gospel. And so if I want this church to move forward and to remain or the church, not Hillsong Church, but the church, Mm. then we have to faithfully tell the next generation Mm. and then let them continue to reach their generation. Yeah, it's great. So I think risk, I think some resilience so that when things go wrong, we can pick ourselves up. Mm -hmm. And I think high levels of relationship Mm. in telling them that we believe in them Mm. and We're going to make room for them to actually play their part is important. Yeah. Young people generally have enthusiasm. And um, and so you can utilise that when they're young and and uh, encourage that that enthusiasm or you can stamp it out. Right. And it's so easy as as older people, even though we're not old, but older people to come along and just sort of want them to do everything our way. Yeah. And sometimes the freshness and the enthusiasm, it won't necessarily be all wins and all good. No. It will um, be fine. (laughs) Yeah, and and it will bring with it a a different sense of joy and, and as I say, enthusiasm. Go ahead. I think you have to always think of who do I have standing next to me that can take over from me, Hmm. but who am I investing in who is 10, 20 years younger than me who one day will become that next person. Hmm. So I love it because often I'll walk around the office and and guys will go, I'm going to take your job one day, and I'm like, (laughs) great. Okay, how do I actually invest in them mm. to show them what I do so they can take my job? Mm. So I think I've got about three or four people who tell me they're going to take my job and I literally actively try to find moments where I can pull them into meetings or get their ideas about things that encourages that within them. Mm. Um which raises a really interesting question. Right. So we've talked about the younger generation, mm-hmm. but what about the older generation? So those that that are even another 10 or or 15 or 20 years our senior, 
talk about how to, I guess, as leaders, how to include them. Right. So um, Matt Crocker, who's one of our main um, singer-songwriter worship leaders, his dad, Tony Crocker, has been in our team for, I'm going to guess, close to 30 years. Hmm. He still plays faithfully on our platform on Sundays. I love watching him because somehow in his head he's been able to go, I don't have to be the main guy, I'm a coach, and one of the greatest assets that I can bring to team is experience and wisdom and maturity that I can pass on to anybody coming after Mm. me. And I think it takes a lot of courage to stay in a young team. Mm. I often have conversations with people in our team that I feel really old on a Thursday night and I go, please don't leave us because you feel old, please Mm. find a way to contribute because your wisdom is needed in our team. Mm. And so I think coaching becomes a really incredible role for that generation. They have seen God do incredible things. Mm. They have walked through seasons of life, marriage, hardships, raising kids, all sorts of stuff, and they've remained faithful. Mm. And we have a lot to glean from that. Mm. We have a high value on serving. So we would always say the, the platform is there for service, not status. Yep. And um, that seems that principle applies if you're 15 years old or if you're 55. Right. It's still about service, and I think it's a really interesting um, test of our heart. All of us, when we're asked to do something different than what we're perhaps comfortable with, yeah. or do it what we're used to, or if it's maybe to take a different role, to maybe not in the limelight so much. Um, it's a really test of our heart and of whether whether it's sort of remaining true and whether we're there to serve or whether we're there for other reasons. Right. But along the way, I think we look after the young generation and we have to be mindful of the older generation pastoring them and, and including them but per- and perhaps honouring their contribution, exactly. right? Because yeah. I think um, when you lose honour in the culture, mm. then there's a lack of respect for what they've done and mm. it's easy for young people to go, oh, well, I would never do it like that. Mm. And you never would because they've done it like that and they've built the framework from which you can actually fly forward. So as long as you're teaching both ends of the spectrum Mm. how to relate to each other, give the old people um, or the older generation, give the younger guys permission to recreate. Mm. And if the younger guys actually honour what's gone before them, then I think in team it becomes a beautiful combination. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to answer the question. And thank you there for um, asking the question. We really appreciate it. Hey, so we've been asked a question from The Resounding. Hi, guys. Um, The question is, how does a creative leader encourage creativity within or amongst their leaders? Um, Sorry, their team. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a whole lot of ways that you can actually do that in a team. I think you have to create a permission environment and a permission culture where you're allowed to imagine and dream and bring creative expression, Mm. which means that there's got to be room for failure, hey? So every creative idea is a risk and it takes um, some courage to bring it Mm. and some courage to execute. So I think that would be my first place to start with. I think as a creative leader, you can actually stir it in people. You actually have to help them to imagine what's in them, to Mm. call it out of them, and then to help find a fit for it in the team. I think for us, lots of things that we've learned is it's all about who you collaborate and who you dream with. So building safe environments and great work teams. Mm. If we have a bunch of dreamers, but no doers, those ideas are going to sit in a room (laughs) (laughs) and have, right? Mm. Um, But if we put executors and project managers and people who can drive deadlines and budgets and everything else around them, then we are more likely to see creativity come to pass Mm. in our team. Mm. And so is it about using the creativity so you inspire it, but then you've got to use it? Yeah, of course you do. And I, But 
it's got to be good enough to be used. Mm. So then I think you as the leader have to decide where things can fit at what levels of evolution in the process they're at. So if they're embryonic ideas and they're not very good creatively, maybe there's a real safe space to try that. Mm. So for us, things like Team Night give us a great forum for experimenting and trying. Things like um, foyers on a Sunday Great place for new band and new team to actually busk if you want to on a weekend or in the green rooms for people to actually speak or bring ideas. Mm. That's great. And so then how do you set those new people up with their creativity not to fail? Look, I I think to start with you're honest. So if it's a bad idea, you actually have to tell them to start with that it's a bad idea and it's not going to go anywhere. Mm. Um, And then I think it takes coaching through the process. So often you want people to come ready-made and people don't come ready-made. So there is a lot of hand-holding early on Mm. with releasing new people into creative areas. For us, new creative producers come through. We partner them with seasoned creative producers. Mm. Um, We let them take little pieces of the project before we give them things to run with by themselves. Mm. So I think there's a lot of coaching a lot of empowering, mentoring, leading and feedback. Mm. You said something about um, having a whole bunch of ideas people and right. no doers. When you look at the team, do you think about people in, in terms of those sorts of, um, not categories, but skill sets? Yeah, of course. Um, I think for me, if I've got to come up with some ideas for something, like somebody's raised something, what could we do here? Yeah. I'll often go, oh, I've been in a room with that person, she's had great ideas, or that pe- person naturally brings ideas. And sometimes I'll just shoot out a group, a group text and go, okay, what could we do for this? Mm. And watch who responds. Yeah. And the people who respond then become my go-tos for mm. ideas and inspiration. I watch people who are always talking about watching things on YouTube or reading in a magazine or being on Pinterest. And, and generally they're great ideas gatherers. Mm. Then if I want to actually execute, a lot of those people are going to fall to the wayside and yeah. other people are going to rise up with different skill sets. Mm. And so then you would deal with a whole different group of people for that who have communication skills and budget skills right. and planning and timelining and mm. problem solving. Mm. So One last question on that. I feel like um, I've watched you even invite people who are not necessarily, who wouldn't see themselves as creative or right. like aren't necessarily part of the team, but you, you've invited them, actually gone and sought them to be an ideas person. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I guess I have a concept that Jesus architected a team. Like he was the ultimate in going and finding who he wanted in his team and he he called by name people. Mm. And I think people are looking for us to actually go and invite them into spaces. Mm. And so we get to architect teams that we want. I think with creativity, you're always looking for new and fresh. And if you use the same team you use every week, it gets stale. Mm. But bringing one or two new ideas people in just sparks a whole lot of ideas. Mm. So one of my favourite days last year was... um, we well, might have been the start of this year, we had a day in the office where we just literally stopped work and everybody, <laughs> ideas people, executors, dreamers, doers, whoever they were, we all got together and just talked about the year mm. and everybody started with one thing that they've been watching and one idea. Like, And you watched everybody be able to contribute creatively to the table mm. and that was fun. Mm. It's great. So the resounding, I hope that helps and I hope as you're looking for create creativity and creative team members and encouraging that, that you can use some of those Tips and keys. Cool. This is a fantastic question from Sophia. How do you create platforms for every single different creative expression that you might want to in the life of church? I don't know that we have to, actually. 
is the honest truth because I think that the truth is the church is there to build the kingdom, to make Jesus known. It's not there to create a platform for every different artistic expression and for people to feel like they're being used. It would be great if people can bring what they're able to and contribute to church, but the honest truth is if they're looking for us to um, create a platform for them, probably Mm. they're looking for the wrong thing. Mm. I would love it if in our team, people just got about doing what they were called to do, what God's Mm. put in their hand, and then as a result, when we want to tell stories, when we want to use people's different expression, then you have people ready-made who are actually already doing things that you can pull in Mm. to the picture. So last night in um, South Africa, they launched Team Night for the Year, and Mandy, who is our creative pastor there, has a real um, heart for a church that builds a nation is mm. what they talk about their church. But as a result, creativity isn't at the forefront of South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, I think we have to infiltrate the arts and we have to get the arts um, reflecting God's glory. Mm. So she pulled in, invited by name, a whole lot of different um, key influences in the creative world in South Africa, mm. and they ran a marketplace in mm. their foyer for an hour and a half last night Top designers, um, coffee, uh, foodies, all sorts of people bought their wares and started to show what they were doing out there. Mm. Now, we can't use half of that in the church, but there is a place for us to champion them and what they're doing in order that they might influence culture. Mm. And I think that's probably a really lovely place to start with. And then there's a practical side. Like, mm. So for us... Um, we have started to look at different artistic expressions that can find their fit in church. So we do need graphic designers when it comes to our sites on the weekend or right. flyers or all those sort of things. We do need photographers to help tell the story of Sundays but also to capture images mm. for digital. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a natural place for those sort of people mm. and we build teams like that mm. because we know we'll use them. Mm. For us, we're not very good at acting <laughs> and so there's not a lot of scope for actors. If I build this team with false hope that we're going to use them, we will just frustrate people. Mm. So I would much rather get actors in, um, commission them to go out into the world and be actors mm. and then maybe let them serve in pastoral roles on a Sunday or in other ways in our team mm. in order to not overpromise and underdeliver. deliver mm. um, I think something you've touched on there was that you get them in, as in you still, right. so our creative team is open to all creatives and then I guess the the way they serve might be through some, right. through a pastoral element or something. We'll find a place for them, but that creative expression might, it might be during the week that they utilise that. 100%. Um, but I think there's a real place for us to create community. That's where people yeah. belong. They don't belong because of a gift. They belong because of who they are. Mm. Now, like attracts like. Mm. So hopefully in a creative community, people will find their fit. Mm. So last week we had a guy come in and he's an actor from the industry in Hollywood. And he came to Team Night on Thursday night and went, oh, look, my people. Yes. Because similar spirit. Mm. We're after the same thing. Mm. He probably won't do anything to serve in team in his professional field, but he will belong with us whenever we gather on a Thursday night and we will commit to praying for him, championing him, loving him and helping him to find people. Yeah. So, Sophia, I hope that um, as you try to find places and expressions for all of your creative or all, all forms of creative... Oh, Cass has got oh, something no, else to I say. I was going to say to Sophia, get creative though. 
Like actually, um, so for us, like she's my stock stand example, but Brie Crocker, I was mm. going to talk about her salted caramels. Right. But I think we've got girls in team who are gifted at baking and cake making and all sorts of stuff. So when we have a celebration, let's call them. Mm. Um, let's actually think strategically about where those things can fit without having to build a massive um, industry <laughs> around people finding where their gifts find expression in church. Yeah. So, Sophia, thanks for the question. Really hope it helps. What are some real tangible, practical things that you've done in the last 12 months to encourage collaboration and creativity? Oh, I love that question because um, that's that's easy, right? I think that um, as a department we've made some good changes recently that I think have sparked collaboration in our team like we've never seen before. We um, had a workspace problem. We had too small a space for our team and so we had to move downstairs into the kids' area and we went with an open plan office area, Mm. which there was a lot of resistance to in the beginning. Our team was all used to working in their own offices and getting behind closed doors. But we've created a really fun space and I wonder if we could upload some photos to our (laughs) Instagram account or something, but we have small office rooms for collaboration that are named after the Beatles. We've got um, a big boardroom called Sasha Fierce. We've got cubby holes on one side of the room. We've got these big open spaces that we have. And I think we have started to watch our team talk across department and actually begin to transfer information and ask questions of each other and collaborate around ideas more than we've ever seen it before. Mm. Started some simple things, Friday morning breakfasts and first Fridays where we throw out an idea and all dream together across disciplines to solve problems in our department. I think we started things called the locker rooms at team night on a Thursday night. We were breaking our big team down into little teams and actually allowing them time to be trained, to collaborate, to dream and to bring ideas for different um, events, Sundays or whatever they have in their hand. So, for example, our photographers get up in the roof and try to find different camera angles for our venue on a Sunday in their locker rooms or they get experts and industry guys in to come and train them on using iPhones for photography or how to use different Canon lenses. Mm. And I think some of that stuff has been really useful. Mm. We've gotten good at going, what spaces do we need to create? Mm. So this week in LA we've been creating a studio where we can actually write songs because that's a need we have Mm. and finding ways to facilitate creativity differently. Mm. So there's lots of practical ways we can encourage collaboration. Mm -hmm. Some of them have to do even just with the space that you're in, making it an environment that's conducive to that and feels nice and is um, a space people want to be in. The other side is, I guess, which you talked about is having the right people in the space. And so pushing people to be... um, in, in a space together that maybe perhaps wouldn't normally be. Right. So the worship leaders with the production people, with the creative moments people, right. et cetera, et cetera, all brainstorming around right. um, Father's Day or whatever the event might be. But I think Which, that's true too. That mm. is. And we've been setting up some fun workshops, hey, like where we've got dancers and photographers working together mm. and there's no agenda, just that at the end of an hour they'll come up with something that they can showcase next week. Mm. And that's fun to put different people in a room together who don't normally sit together mm. and seeing what comes of it. 
Yeah, because oftentimes um, creating breeds more creation and ideas breed ideas. So if you can get the ball rolling, it's harder to get it rolling than it is to keep the momentum of it going. I was talking today to one of our um, storytellers slash filmmakers and he said over the last couple of weeks he's been working across cultures. So he's been working with our filmmakers in Germany and Sweden and Hmm. all sorts of different places but connecting them to each other has actually sparked incredible conversations. Hmm. And he went, he didn't think by initiating relationship that it would spark such creativity. Hmm. But I think often all it takes is for us to think, who do I know that should know each other and then just move out of the way and see what comes of that. That's Mm. fun. Yeah. It's really inspiring to um, think about how to create creativity and an environment of creativity and inspiration. Um, So thank you for the question and we really appreciate you taking the time to ask it. Shelby asks, how do you keep all of your creatives happy without deterring from the senior pastor's vision? It's not my job to keep creatives happy. (laughs) (laughs) You and I laugh. We're married, right? Um, Yes, we are. (laughs) Yes. And I've heard it said, happy wife, happy life. And Mm. I think it's rubbish. Hey, you haven't heard that from me though. No, I haven't because you you say (laughs) it's not my job to keep you happy. And I think it's the same with our Mm. creative team. As a creative pastor, I am not here to ensure everybody is happy. I hope they are, Mm. but that's not my first goal. Mm. So my first goal is predominantly, to do what I feel like Jesus has called us to do and to live biblically. Mm. And then my second thing is to build the kingdom and how I outwork that, Cassandra Langton, is at Hillsong Church under the vision of Brian and Bobby Houston. Mm. Do I always agree with Brian and Bobby Houston? No, I don't. But did I choose to submit to authority like I submit to Jesus? A hundred percent. So therefore, what is their vision has now become my vision and we will outwork it through the creative team. I think when you are a leader, our responsibility is to actually speak vision and purpose in a way that lets people find out how they can play a part, Mm. how they can find their fit and where they can serve. Mm. Will I always be happy doing that? Probably not because sometimes there will be too many hours, sometimes there will be too few hours, sometimes there will be things that they want to do, things that they don't want to do. That's part of the nature of serving Mm. and dying to yourself and finding your fit in the kingdom is that you choose to come under authority and you choose to do things in and out of season when you're tired, when you feel like it, when you don't, when you're motivated, when you're not. Mm. And in 20 years of being at Hillsong Church, we've had to make decisions over and over again to stay Mm. when we've been unhappy or when we haven't actually loved what we've been doing. So I think happiness is a relative term. (laughs) I think you can find joy in all seasons. Mm. And I think if you can continue to attach what you do to a higher purpose, Mm. then there will be a meaningful contribution that you can make to building the church. Mm. I wonder if part of the answer is in learning to be an inspiring leader and to be able to create a culture of inspiration and one that follows the vision of the senior leadership. So hopefully in the church environment that Shelby is a part of, hopefully you can, um, you know what the vision is. You've got to own it, hey. Like actually, And teach your people to own it. Right. So Mm. part of becoming happy is actually willingly choosing to serve that vision and loving it as if it's your own. That's it. So I know for us in our team, we've taken out pieces of our vision statement 
and put them on walls. And in fact, last night, Evie Gallardo, who is one of our pastors at our Greater Western Campus in Sydney, she sent me a piece of our vision statement that is on her wall in her um, green room. Mm. And she she literally sent this little picture and a face, you know, the emoji that's crying. <laughs> and it says, the church that I now see is a worshipping church whose songs reflect such a passion for Christ that others sense his magnificence and power. Mm. A distinct sound that emanates from a healthy church, contagious in spirit, creating music that resounds from villages and tribes to great cities and nations. Mm. So obviously she has got that inner spirit in a way that allows her mm. to influence her team to find their place in that vision. Yeah. They're happy because they're doing that. Mm. And then people actually have to choose to buy in and sometimes let the things that they desire more die in light of doing something better together. Mm. So Shelby, all the best with creating happy creatives, <laughs> whether it's your job or not. Thanks so much for the question. We've got a question here from Jennifer who goes by Jen. Hi, Hi Jen. Jen. <laughs> um, this question is, how do you handle the number of big events that you have? Right. We like we literally laugh. We're the church that never sleeps. <laughs> and um, our senior pastor, Bobby, often says, when we get to heaven, we'll all get to rest. And then she jokes and goes, no, 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 we're going to put on the banquet. We're actually going to put on the, the uh, marriage of the Lamb. And I go, I am definitely not doing that when I get to heaven. <laughs> Because we do, we live in a church that is relentless in the next big event, the next Sunday, the next um, colour conference, worship conference, Hillsong conference, it's Vision Sunday, it's Mother's Day, it's mm. Father's Day, it's Christmas, it's Easter, like, and most churches would be the same. Mm. I think the only way to handle that is to actually um, build your teams bigger. And to be honest, this is a challenge for us mm. and we talk about it often that we don't have enough people to be able to execute what we want to in the timeframes that we want to. In fact, Rich, I can remember. <laughs> yes, I, can I remember, remember what you're about to say. One year we decided that we were going to do it better than we'd ever done it before because we were all filling this stretch of the year before. And so we sat down with a calendar and our human resource mm. and we began to allocate yeah, well, I thought I would create a Gantt chart <laughs> right. for anyone out there who knows what that is um, with proper time frames, allocating resources, times, the, everything to each event. And this was in, I think it was in like maybe the November or December, before, you know, yeah. I was planning for the next year. And I realised at that point that we were already behind. Right. <laughs> and so when I got to about 500 lines deep in this chart, I gave up because there was just no hope for actually... Um, because you went, we were too many... Too many events and... Not enough people. Yeah. And not enough money. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, the resources and not enough that we time. had. Exactly. And so then we kind of go, well, God's going to have to come through somehow and yeah. we'll have to take it a day at a time. Right. And since then to now, I think we've revisited even our creative process. We've right. revisited how we do things and, and the resources that we allocate to things, yeah. including the people, which has led us on a, um, a journey of just expanding our teams, right. breaking down the teams into smaller teams, uh, smaller work groups, um, and people who work perhaps just on less but on more specific things. Right. Um, so it might be that, that a team works only on Christmas, um, the Christmas Spectacular, but they work on that all year or, um, you know, just on, on the Easter campaign or whatever the thing might be. But either way, the, the events still happen. There's still a sort of a relentlessness of the calendar. 
And Cass, I wonder if you could speak to this. The church calendar is the same every year or very similar, and yet we've never had that particular Easter or that particular conference before. So when you turn up at Easter for this year or you turn up at this Sunday, what do you tell our team and how do you approach that to keep it fresh? Yeah, I absolutely 100% think that part of the answer to this question is in um, a pastor's heart for the health of its pe- his people or her people mm. because you're right in what you're saying. God is always doing something new. Mm. And if we presume to know what we're doing, familiarity actually breeds contempt. Mm. And I think familiarity is probably the antithesis of expectation and seeing God move. Mm. Um, Pastor Robert Ferguson this week preached an incredible message at our staff meeting and he said the presence of God always comes with a price, Mm. that there has been a, a legacy and a history in the Old Testament, New Testament of people sacrificing in order to see God move. Mm. And I think for our creative teams it's the same, like the cost of pulling off these events is part of the price that we pay in order to see God's presence manifest in the church. Mm. And so we have this incredible responsibility and obligation to keep turning up even though there's a relentless pace because we want to be used by God to see mm. his kingdom expand on the earth because there is nothing like watching people become Christians and get a revelation of who Jesus is and mm. that's the end goal of everything that we do, mm. not that our creativity would be so magnificent and awe-inspiring but actually that the lights would go on for mm. people. So like um, in December we'd had a very, very big year and we got to Christmas time and we had decided that we were going to do something new at Christmas. We are going to do... Um, new films, and we're going to tell the story differently to how we told it before. And so that took a lot of work. Like for our guys, there were a lot of 5 a.m. mornings, a lot of volunteers. Our boardroom was turned into a sewing room Mm -hmm. for weeks on end and it became the place where Roman guard costumes were forged (laughs) and like all sorts of things. And people were working on scripts and they were working on Foley and they were working on all sorts of different parts of the process. But when it came to December and everybody was tired and worn out, One of the greatest stories that we told everywhere in our team was that last year on events like this, we gave out a certain number of Bibles. This time we gave out 100% more than what we had done last year. Mm. So I think it was something like we went from 50 Bibles in a service to 500, like some ridiculous Mm. number of change, which equated to lives being transformed by the gospel. Mm. And so I think in the relentless nature, any time that you can stop and show your team how it's actually impacting people, Mm. you can tell the stories of transformation or testimonies, Mm. it actually helps Mm. to give perspective to the work. Yeah, because in every big event there's real meaning and God is doing something pretty amazing and, and unique to that. Um, and alongside that, there's a lot of work and there's right. a lot of planning and preempting that goes into it so that you can actually make sure your team come out the other side. Right, 100%. Yeah. And he'll mm. do it with or without us, right? Mm. So then I guess you always have a choice to opt in. Mm. Exactly. So, Jen, hopefully that answer is helpful and thanks so much for the question. This next question is from Miller and Cass. Could you answer this for us? It says, how do I help our team to see beyond the weekly job that they've got to do and and see the value or the eternal value that's involved in that thing that they're pulling off? 
Yeah, right. That's a great question. And it shouldn't be too hard to do because every little thing that we do attaches to a bigger purpose. Mm. Um, I guess my favourite picture in the Bible of that is the Levites and how everybody was given a job to do in order to put up a tent. Mm. And it doesn't sound very glamorous if you put it like that, (laughs) but the tent was actually the dwelling place of God. Mm. And God set aside people and gifted and graced them specifically for jobs. So Mm. artisans and craftsmen and people who cut stones and people who worked in gold and people who were able to pray and sacrifice offerings and do all sorts of different things. And Mm. every little job worked together to form this beautiful big hole of what it looked like for God to dwell right in the middle of the Israelites. Mm. I think it's no different today. I think the Bible is really clear that God gifts and graces the saints for the work of the ministry, Mm. that every part has a, every piece of the body has a different part to play and Mm. not one piece is more important than the others. So any good leader should be able to actually show how the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Mm. Uh, We've been on such an interesting journey over the last maybe 10 years to go production actually facilitates worship. TV facilitates worship, stage design facilitates worship, band facilitates worship, singers facilitate worship, the graphics operator facilitates worship. Mm. And letting everybody see how their little part plays a bigger part in the whole Mm. has actually been really meaningful for contributing to that. Mm. Truth is, if our lyric screens go down, our congregation can't sing. Mm. All of a sudden, that places real value on the person out the back typing words into a computer. Mm. And I think if you can help people see how their part leads to somebody's encounter with God, Mm. then you are much more able to inspire them to continue to serve. Mm. One thing that I think as pastors is that we should be the greatest storytellers in our team. Mm. And so we should be actively seeking stories of people's transforming moments with Jesus, Mm. how they've been impacted by what our creative team have brought to the table and telling those stories over and over and over again Mm. so that our team don't get weary in doing good. Mm. (laughs) I think Donna Crouch, when I started, brought me down the front of church and she showed me an altar call and she told me how me doing administration that week actually had contributed to people finding Jesus on Sunday morning. Mm. And I would say the same thing to every person who serves in our team on a weekend or midweek, that they are intrinsically linked to people encountering Jesus. Mm. And we just need to keep showing them how. Yeah. And real practically, that was a practical way Donna was able to do that for you. Right. And I've noticed that, that well, I haven't just noticed I've been a part of it, but I've noticed that you do that for our team at things like team night, at things like our pre-service gathering, and and even beyond that on Instagram and on on all sorts all sorts of creative ways to be able to, um, I guess, tell the stories of of transformation, and then also encouraging people beyond sort of the job of that they're doing. It might yeah. seem meaningless, but it's a in a sense a piece in the puzzle, isn't it? Right. Mm. And I think, too, you want to help people realise that the part that they play today might not be the part that they play tomorrow. Right. So, like, for us, it's awesome that you're the main worship leader on Sunday morning and you get up there and you're talking to the crowd. You can probably really easily see how that impacts people. Mm. But when you're the host sitting people in a seat, maybe you can't see it so easily. But I think we have to continue to place value on all of those different areas so that when people's seasons and job changes, Mm. their value is not linked to that position alone. Mm. Excellent. Well, I hope that helps, Miller, and thank you so much for the question. So Jamison asks, 
I want to know where to begin when creating a creative culture. I think it's really interesting to want to create a creative culture because I think you got to start by asking yourself why. Mm. Why do I want a creative culture? Is mm. it because it's cool? Is it because it's what every other church is doing? Is it because I'll find expressions for my people? Why do you want to do it? Because right. I think the only right way to want to do it is because it displays a relationship between a creator and a creative mm. because it helps us to tell the story better of who God is. I think creativity was his idea. And he is incredibly creative. I think about Jesus telling parables. I think mm. about God creating heaven and earth. I think about um, Christ-likeness being formed in us. He mm. is always creating and we create as a reflection of who he is. Mm. And so I reckon that that understanding and that base starting point is a really great place for a creative department to evolve from. Mm. So what we are actually trying to do is give expression to who God is and what he's doing amongst us. Mm. And then I think you have to start by asking yourself, what creative expressions do I need to engage in order to do that in the community that I find myself in? Mm. So for us, in the middle of Copenhagen, it is a cool, creative, edgy city. I think our team should be on the forefront of creativity and design and all those sort of things. Um, in some of our cultures, creativity doesn't even function as a language in that place. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to go right back to base levels and start with music and song and all of those sort of things to even find a language to express mm. what Zephaniah 3.17 sing, says that God sings over us. Mm. And so we are little bit by little bit in different environments, in different cultures around the world, just working out how to reflect God in the arts, in the people, in the worship, in the tools that he's given us mm. in order to bring him glory. Mm. Really practically here at Hills in Sydney, yep. when Pastor Brian and Bobby, I guess they founded Hillsong Church, they've always had, an, a, um, I guess, a love for uh, song and for 100%. that uh, worship expression. Right. And Bobby is very creative. And yes, is, she is. is um, and makes room for the arts, right? Exactly. And that's, I guess that's where I was going. So as far as senior leadership goes, they're leading the way. They're, they're sort of pointing right. us in the direction. And I think they've been really great for us because they go, we make the special days special. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't tell us what that looks like, right. but we get to come with ideas about what that could look like, mm. which means for us it's limitless on what we could do. So we can do as much as our team can dream. So if we wanted to have an art gallery on Mother's Day, if we wanted to bring dance, if we wanted to bring short film, mm. if we wanted to bring whatever we wanted to do, we could suggest that as an idea and submit it to them for consideration. Mm. And then obviously whenever you bring creativity, you've got to be prepared to be knocked back. Mm. So I can think of many times in starting a stage design culture and a creative culture where I've turned up on a Sunday and what I've seen has been horrific. <laughs> and we've actually had to pull down things because our value is excellence. Mm. And so in terms of birthing creativity, it's been willing to actually say no to things even though it's taken people a lot of time and a lot of effort in order for the greater good to prevail. Mm. Um, we have said no to dance because it hasn't been polished enough because I think you can put things up there but if they're not ready, the congregation doesn't respond like you want them to mm. and so therefore you lose their trust mm. in order to bring it next time. Mm. So I would much rather bring what is good 
and reflects well on God mm. than half-baked. Mm. And I think actually setting some standards early on as you're building a creative culture matters. Mm. And in that, obviously, making sure it aligns with your senior leadership's vision and goals. Because I know in some sure. congregations, yeah. the senior pastors, creativity is not even on the page. Right. And, and it's not something that they're wanting to engage with. And well, so, so for us, if we tried to do um, worship or spirit dancing in worship, mm-hmm. we would find ourselves out of alignment. So not that dance doesn't have a place in worship, but probably the best place that it fits for us is in telling stories and narrative as opposed to in the middle of worship. Mm. And I think you've got to find the fit for the arts in the context that you live in. Mm. And being willing to submit to leadership when their vision is not for that that particular right. form of creativity or even creativity at all. 100%. Mm. Um, our friends at Bethel, they have artists on the platform painting during worship mm. and they have flag dancers during worship. Mm. We don't believe any less in the arts than they do, but we have a very different place for it to fit in our context. So mm. when we do worship conference, we actually have an incredible art gallery that we have spent the year preparing for and incredible pieces of art that mm. showcase the talent of artists. Mm. We believe in artists like Bethel do. The outworking of that looks different. Yeah. Our dance would be the same. Yep. So to answer the question real briefly, you'd start with why, make sure it's in alignment with the leadership, yeah, and then build slowly over time as the need and as the um, imagination grows. Right. And and don't bite off more than you can chew, right? Right. So I would say do one thing and do it well to start with. So look at what your strength is in your community. If you've got some filmmakers, invest in them heavily. Hmm. And I think we've found as you begin to stir different aspects of the arts, more people come and go, oh, hold on, I can do this. Could I play my part? Mm. I can do. But if you invest just small steps, mm. better results. Perfect. Well, Jamison, hopefully that answers your question. Ashley asks, I would like to know how you guys brainstorm and work on your creative processes. So, Vicky, <laughs> this is something we've talked lots about. Um, please share with the world. <laughs> Our crazy process. Um, we do. We have a crazy process. The brainstorm part of it is probably the most fun, let's all be honest. And we brainstorm actually in many different ways throughout the year. So um, we have some big sort of dreaming meetings early, early in each year and we go through a lot of the events um, that are happening in the year to come. And we invite a broad cross-section of people to those meetings. It mm. is not just a small group of people. It's a lot of our staff. It's some of our wider team. Mm. Um, it's our leadership. Um, and we just start thinking through some of the things that we, we might want to do yeah. in the coming year. We do things like play videos and listen to songs and look at some new production technology that's on the market or Yeah, that's actually really fun. Yeah. When you say having different people in the room to have yeah. the like some production guys in the room yeah. who are just into the crazy new lighting thing into it. or the new LED screens or whatever. Yeah. You've never thought about or like the kinetic lights which yeah. we used at color yep they know about this stuff so they can bring it to the table 100 uh-huh. percent. they're like wow we can make things move in the roof and we yep. all go what that's amazing right. we could build a whole thing thing around that mm. so our process is called ice yeah. <laughs> is that what you want to talk about is I that a good thing sure so we have three solid stages to our creative process we have the idea stage we have the creation stage and then we have the execution so in our ideas phase, 
we just gather ideas from a lot of different places. And I've found there's not really a lack of ideas. The, mm. We have an overflow of ideas, yeah. which is so amazing. And then when we've decided which idea we would like to outwork for a particular moment or event, then we have that initial concept, which might be something very loose or a very vague idea or a direction or even a word. Like, for example, when we did our concept pitches for Christmas even day last year, we pitched something as loose and vague as light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we think it might be fun to play with the idea of light. Mm. But then the next step after that is approved. We move to our creation stage where we think through what does that really mean? Mm. What does that look like? How do we play with this concept of light and Jesus being the light of the world and the different kind of light that comes through salvation, et cetera. Um, and that would we would call our creation stage where we really create that loose concept into mm. something that is real and tangible and feasible and affordable and doable in the timescale. Yeah. And then we get that signed off again. Mm. So in terms of our process, we have two solid sign-off points, initial concept and then the slightly more fleshed-out idea. And then we move into after that, we're very clearly able to move into an execution phase mm. where... In theory, <laughs> with everything working well, the outcome will be what was approved. <laughs> yeah, which is really hard, isn't it's it? Not, to, it's not always that easy. Mm, yeah. yeah. And and sometimes I think when you say about the approvals, the, the idea of that is so that when we're communicating to leadership, yeah. um, what they think they're getting is is um, what we think we're getting yeah. <laughs> and, and also what's delivered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no that, surprises. No, because that's, <laughs> I, I think I've sat on both sides of the fence with that, with being the leader, thinking you're getting something, you turn up on the day and it's like mm. nothing like what was in your head. Yeah. Or or being on the other side where you mm. think you're, you're doing everything you can to deliver, you think you've nailed it and then you turn up on the day and the, and, and the congregation is disappointed because the leader's disappointed <laughs> because not what they were expecting at all. Um, and that, that communication is really important in yeah, the process yeah. and, and oh. making sure we're all on the same page. And um, we're getting better at it. I think for us some of the keys in that creation stage, there are, there are major keys in terms of uh, collaborating with different teams. Mm. So making sure that production has been involved, we call yeah. it creative technology, that they've been involved, that they understand the idea, that they think that they can actually do it, mm that we own the equipment that's needed, mm. all of that sort of very practical stuff, because that can trip us up later if we haven't done it here. Even we've gone so far recently to do things like creating a snippet of the video. So, for example, if there's going to be a particular visual element to right. something, um, we ask one of our amazing creating people to create just 20, 30 seconds, just give us a flavour. Mm. We know it won't be the outcome, but just show what those moving lines on the screen are going to look like, for example. Right. And so then in our second phase of um, sending this sort of up the line for everyone to have a look at and say they think this is awesome, they actually can genuinely see mm. something that might be a little bit similar mm. to what they'll see on the day. Yeah. Because actually I think sometimes even with references – which is traditionally our briefs have been full of reference pictures. And I think I look at a reference picture and I see something different than when you look at a reference yeah. picture mm -hmm. and say, Rich might look at a reference picture and think, oh, Vicky will absolutely, exactly, identically replicate that picture. Mm. And I think, oh, it's a reference. Yeah. We might do something, something vaguely similar. similar. Right. <laughs> It'll have lines in it. <laughs> It'll have yeah. some lines. Mm. So I think really pushing ourselves to own that creation phase mm. and make it as excellent as we can, then also means that execution so much easier. Mm. And me, my, so many less surprises on the day, which 
we are all trying to avoid. Yeah, it's all good. Um, I think one other thing about the process is that the process, in a sense, doesn't matter. As no. in, it's, it shouldn't be... Uh, I think for process-oriented people, um, they can get very precious... Uh, I might be speaking <laughs> from personal experience. <laughs> they can get very precious about needing to stick to the process right. and stick to the deadlines. And and I guess in our environment, we do have a we do have a flow um, that we work to, mm. but it's not it's not about hitting those those three um, points in the in the process. Um, the process needs to be so simple and agreed on and understood that it just happens mm. and it allows room for everybody to play their part in the timeline um, effectively and no one to get lost. But when it's working well, mm. the actual process of it is hidden. Completely and it hidden. Just, it just happens yep. and you don't even need to think about it. It is needed but it needs to be so sort of well-oiled or also mm -hmm. agreed on or whatever um, that Cult it disappears. Culturally embedded, maybe. That's a great way. Like, I feel like yeah. I, I, think you're I right. genuinely think mm. that's where we've got to is it's actually mm. culturally embedded. Like across the teams, yeah. everybody, for example, a quoting mm. process, mm. for example, across our department, pretty much everyone is on the page that mm. they wouldn't want a second round of ideas mm. to go forward for people to have a look at unless yes. we'd quoted it and yep. we knew that it was within our budget, Right. for example, mm. just yeah. one little example. And it's not that anyone has to walk around with a spreadsheet pointing at a timeline saying, right. don't forget you need to do this. Yeah. It's actually become part of the flow of our team. Mm. And I think it's nice. I mean, we've wrestled with this for so long, but I think actually it's landed for us, for mm. our purposes, it's landed in a really nice place where if you are really process-oriented, you can latch onto it mm. and it provides a sense of security. Mm. If you're not very process-oriented, it still happens beautifully mm. and you don't feel restricted by yeah. it. So for us, I feel like we've landed somewhere that as we continue to get better at it mm. and continue to embed it and continue to work on it, I think it'll bring us to a really nice place. Yeah. And I think that's interesting as well, real quick, but that having the right people in the right spots mm. is really important. Mm -hmm. And so you might have an ideas person, but if you put them in in um, the execution phase, then they'll just be coming up with new ideas that become unhelpful. <laughs> in the wrong spot. <laughs> right? Um, and, and that can trip you up and, mm. and yet it can work so beautifully when the right people are in the right yeah, places right. and uh, the right parts of the process. So It's so true. So, Ashley, I hope that helps and thanks so much for the question. We've got a great question here from Amanda. And this question that Amanda's written in is, when do you move from creativity into execution? So moving from dreaming to deadlines. That's such a good question. I suppose we, this probably sounds a little um, restrictive, but I, I don't think it really is in reality. We actually confine our dreaming to, to deadlines as well. <laughs> So right. we have a, a period of time in the execution of any particular event or item that we allocate to the dreaming time for that item mm. and we gather whatever resources we need or inputs we need and then the out output of that dreaming is some sort of pitch or concept brief of some sort that mm. needs to go somewhere for approval which um, needs to be done by a certain time. So f I think it's been a journey. I think we're getting better at it, mm. to be honest. I think we're getting much better at fully thinking through and concepting an idea prior to um, sending that to approval, which then means that there's much less dreaming needed during that execution phase because we've already thought through mm. all of the elements and obviously with some concepts that's easier than with others. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in general, I would say 
we limit our dreaming to a certain time in the timeline mm. of executing some form of creativity. Yeah. I think that we used to, like you say, we're getting better at it. And yeah. I wonder <laughs> if we used to leave um, the dreaming part uh to, to the last minute or too right. too far. We hadn't our timelines maybe weren't as long as they needed to be to right. allow enough time for the dreaming. I think that as a team we we have been at least really strong on the execution. We'll get it yep. done on the day. Yeah, Sunday's coming and it's a Mother's Day item. We're going to get that thing done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yet the ideas might not have been fleshed out quite like they could have been. Mm-hmm. We didn't maybe explore all the avenues of, of an idea. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of get what you get on the day. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess if I was sort of giving advice to someone, um, hopefully Amanda, um, this helps, but I would make sure that you do actually have a timeline that, that mm-hmm. includes, like you said, that phase or that, that time of dreaming um, with enough time to really explore an idea and hone the idea mm. prior to then executing and then also leaving enough time for the execution to happen. And like you said, to um, have a real deadline for both Yeah. and, um, and yep. maybe stick to that deadline. So, Amanda, thank you so much for the question. I really hope it helps. We've got another great question, which is all about ideas. How do you choose which idea to actually do? If you've got heaps of ideas... How do you start? Such a good question. We live in that world too, I think. We have such an overflow of ideas. There's so many ideas people around here. Right. <laughs> There's no lack of ideas. I think one of the things that we've found is that an idea doesn't hold much value if it's just an idea. Mm-hmm. So putting a little bit of extra work into each of the ideas to figure out if that can be executed, if it can be afforded, if we have the right um, people to do it. Mm. Say, for example, we'd love to sing a song that has a very specific tone and style, but the only one or two singers who really could pull that off are not available on the day. Done. Decision made. Right. (laughs) So I feel like oftentimes the minute we look at some of the auxiliary sort of questions related to that item or event or song um, answers that question for us. Mm. It could even be things like the legal ramifications of doing some sort of item, Mm. getting licensing to do that, we can't get it licensed until it might take a couple of months, so therefore right. that won't be working for this weekend. Mm. There's a lot of different elements that cause an idea to be able to be done. And I think one of the things that we've tried to do is get through that phase quite quickly, so not to really labour on it, to, but, but to very quickly go, so many good ideas, very quickly let's just whittle that down to the one or two mm-hmm. that we could really wrestle over and choose which one is the right one for this Mm. particular moment, event or Sunday. And then all those ideas are not lost. So for me, that's actually hugely important. I Mm. think we don't want any of this to fall to the ground and just be wasted. So we file all of the ideas, we keep all of the songs, we keep all of the creative pitches that people do Mm. and pull them all out and have another little look (laughs) the next time we need to pick something to do. Yeah, and I think sometimes also your decision-making can be around different things. So, for example, there's a particular idea that um, we've pitched recently that I personally really liked. I mean, it was a great idea. We have lots of great ideas. It was a a strong idea in its own right, Mm. but also it was being done by a lot of people uh, who are volunteers who I really wanted to get involved. Mm. So from my perspective, that increased the value of that idea over the creativity of the idea Mm. because it's just a win for our team. It's a win for the church. It's a win for people stepping into ministry. So I think depending on the season of your team and your department, you might decision make around some different things. Mm. 
I think it's interesting you said that you really liked that idea. And I think that's um, something to be aware of, that you can be so invested sometimes mm. in an idea mm. that either it maybe isn't that good or mm. um, it's not actually possible or, you know, you budgetary <laughs> constraints or, yes. or even... You might have a great idea, but you don't have anyone who can actually pull it off, you know, to sing some crazy, <laughs> yes. you know, song that goes up 10 octaves or something. Yeah. Um, it, it might be great in theory, yep. but in practice you can't do it. And and as a decision maker, knowing yourself and knowing yeah. um, sort of what you're basing the decisions on can be can be important so that you're not pushing the team <laughs> yeah. in a direction that's just your personal preference and it isn't actually best for the for the outcome. For the outcome. Um, I think one of the things that we've done to sort of avoid that a little bit is we have a lot of people input into ideas. Hmm. So we it's pretty rare actually I don't even can't even think of a time it's happened recently hmm. where an idea would go forward for approval that is really just one person's yeah. idea. So we we really create a lot of collaborative working groups around ideas. Hmm. Um make sure that people have spoken into it. Even on the front page of our pitch document mm. is literally a list of the different teams that have inputted into the pitch, mm. which means that they've seen it, they believe that their contribution can be done within mm. the time they have available, they think it's a good idea. So I think what you're seeing is very, very real. Yeah. <laughs> and I think kind of we've kind of organically created something maybe that, that avoids that kind or, of helps us mm. to avoid that a yeah. little bit. Never fully, but mm. one a last bit. little question on that: the input of leadership. Mm-hmm. So I know that some people would have their senior pastor, yep. um, or you know, leadership mm-hmm. um, speaking into the creativity. Yep. I guess there's there's so much to explore there, but one thing might be when it comes to leadership, it's so easy to get. For example, in our case, it's so easy to get Cass excited mm-hmm. about an idea. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that we've done a little bit of due diligence before even taking the idea Absolutely. To, to leadership. Yes. You, you mentioned that doing that extra work is really helpful for the idea itself, but it's also helpful for leadership. Absolutely. Mm. I, think it's, I think it's completely necessary personally. I think that we do our leadership a disservice if we bring them something that is half-baked mm. so or bring something that is so pie in the sky mm that actually we would go away, do all the work, do the research and realise it's impossible to be pulled off. So then we have to go back with another idea. Mm. I think it wastes everybody's time. And I think just the concept of trust building in a a relationship as well, like you would want to be building trust there Mm. that that when I bring something to, whether it be Cass or whoever, that she knows I'm bringing something that is possible. Yeah, <laughs> and that actually I wouldn't have to come back in a week and go, oh, Cass, actually, I'm so we sorry, do it, yeah. we can't do it. Mm. So for me, there's a real fundamental of relationship building in there and mm. building trust and creating an environment where, say, for example, if Cass ended up having to be away for a few months and she had to delegate this responsibility to someone else, she knows that her team would bring something that was feasible. Like I feel like I think about things like that a little bit, I guess, mm. and I think that's important. And in that, it's probably... Um, like you said, the relationship needs to be strong enough that you're communicating with your leadership, um, maybe senior leadership or, or creative leadership, to, to um, so that they know where your strengths lie and where where perhaps you're not so mm-hmm. strong. So if there's a request from leadership to do a, a song and dance item and you've got no dancers, absolutely um, yes, then you're better not to do it. And and sometimes that's difficult as well because their their heart might be set on on that particular thing. Yeah. And I guess we would have an environment where we're not going to just say no 
to, you know, if if, yep. if Bobby asked us to do something, we're going to do everything we can to do Absolutely, it. Absolutely, But yes. at the same time, communicating that what level we might be able to do it yeah. or what that might actually look like. Yep. It's not going to be 500 dancers. It's going to be one yep. or, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there is that real element of trust in leadership, like you said, and that ongoing communication and um, choosing ideas that actually fit the environment, fit um, Absolutely. Who you have, hundred talent, and all that. Yeah, so. definitely. Mm. Anyways, well, I hope that helps answer that question and helps you create great ideas and choose the ones that are going to really win and and push your service or team forward. So next up, we've got a question. Actually, there was a couple of questions that were quite similar, one from Jesse and one from Timothy. I hope you guys hear that the, these similarities in these questions. One says, um, how do you give creatives in training responsibility without sacrificing quality? And the other question was, how do you raise up leaders or creatives while still maintaining excellence? So I guess the, the gist of it is, I've got Autumn Hardman here. The gist of it is, how do you keep excellence a standard of excellence, but also bring through new people? Gee, that's such a good question. I don't know if I have all of the answers to this, but that's an amazing question. Hmm. Um, thanks, guys, for asking that. Hmm. Um, I hope I can do it a partial justice. <laughs> it's something we deal with all the time because hmm. one of the core values of our church is that we're generational. So we're always raising up new people. We're always involving new. Hmm. We have a college here. We have a great youth ministry. And so if we're not growing, if we're not bringing new people in, we're doing something wrong. Hmm. The challenge with excellence in that is how how do you bring new people through and not have your standard drop? I think it's it's about the environment. It's about how many people you bring in. Um, are they well supported? Mm. What level of standard are they at? Mm. One of the key things we do say, for instance, with musicians, um, I, I serve on our weekend team. And so if, if someone's coming through as a musician, we would probably do one new person in the band. We wouldn't do two new players because then they're really well supported. On our team, we do two keyboard players. And so if I'm on with a brand new person, mm. I know that ahead of time so I can go, okay, and I kind of safeguard them. So mm. I have most of the sounds lined up and I have a chat with them and suss out what they're confident with. And we have, I think a key part of this is relationship. Mm. As the leader, I need to actually know what their skill level is, what is their capacity, and then I can't throw them in over their head. Mm. We've got to actually safeguard them mm. and bring them through. Um, and so I think we, on the platform, uh, we wouldn't put too many people new, uh, too many new people on and we would safeguard what we give them so we wouldn't give them the the key lead role in every in every song same thing with our worship leaders if we're bringing someone through if it's their very first time leading we'd probably give them a verse or a bridge hmm. introduce them to the church so that they just have a small portion but they're uh, protected and safeguarded um, and I think in giving people responsibility it's pretty similar. Um, that we set out expectations of what we need someone to do mm. and we introduce them to the people around them and then we kind of do what we can to safeguard them. Mm. And um, I think that excellence is progressive. Mm. One of the things we love to say in training is if I'm always doing my best, then my best today is not my best for tomorrow. My best tomorrow grows on what I learned yesterday. Yeah. And so hopefully excellence is just me bringing my best at any given time. Mm. And so hopefully your team, as they keep getting rostered, their standard of excellence grows mm. and they keep getting better. And as leaders in training, everything continues to grow. Mm. We're really 
careful and cautious with feedback as well. When we bring uh, a new person through, if, if I know it's someone's first Sunday, I'm not going to point out all of their flaws. <laughs> I'm just going to go, hey, great job, mate. Mm. And then at some point during the week, we'll catch up with him, have a chat to him about maybe one or two things max mm. that he could improve. I'm not going to tell him everything I noticed. Mm. And we continue to work with him. Mm. And another thing that we do, if you're in a location where there's multiple services or different places, often our youth team, before we roster them on a main service, we go and observe them in mm. youth when sometimes they don't even know we're watching. We champion them from the, you know, from the back row, we'll sneak into youth yeah. and go, oh, that kid is leading worship. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. And that's a little bit our way of seeing where they're at. Mm. Um, in their environment where they're comfortable, we can see them, um, observe what standard they're at, and then observe whenever they're ready to mm. take on something new. The very last thing I'll say, I'm sorry, I've gone on for a long time, is if you think of it in context of uh, flying airplanes, mm -hmm. there's the little airplanes that only require, you know, 10 hours of air pilot time to yeah. fly. And then as as the airplane size increases, mm. your level of training increases, mm. we kind of approach that with some of our services that sometimes there's there's nothing wrong that say, you know, Nigel's one of the only people that would play on some of our biggest platforms. It doesn't mean there's anything better than Ni Nigel than anyone else. It's actually that he's had so much flight time mm. that he's experienced and yeah. he's equipped. And so in bringing people through, it's really important to assess maybe what their flight time is mm. and where is appropriate for them to be playing and outworking and leading for their own well-being and development as a person. That's awesome. Well, I hope that answers your question. We've got a question from Doyle. How do you effectively bring someone onto your team that has a different creative process than you? It's an interesting question. I think that for us, um, where Orts might fit into this and answer this well, is probably when it comes to uh, musicianship and even a creative sound. Because I think it could be, you could apply what the way you'd approach that to a creative process. Um, so for us, um, I guess people would know our music. They would know the sort of the Hillsong sound. And as a musician... Um, you can't just come into the team and expect to just do your thing. Yes. How how do we approach that? How do we communicate that to to that musician? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I think it comes down to uh, when we when we bring our gifts to the church, we're actually coming to serve, mm. and so we bring what we have, and then we like submit it to whatever serves. And uh, there there may be things that you bring that don't get used, mm. and that's okay. Mm. Um, and uh, the way that we would approach it specifically with being a musician would be we've got a very specific sound and a mm. brand. And and so then when I say if I was a jazz musician and I come to church, if I play the style of jazz in church, even mm. though maybe that's what I love, it's not going to fit. It's going to be distracting. It's mm. not actually because the whole purpose of what we bring as a team is unity mm. and one sound and everyone playing their part. And so quite obviously that style doesn't fit. So what we would tell musicians is going, look, if you're a shredder, like <laughs> go for it. But maybe when you come to church, we just need you to play the parts of the songs. Mm. We know that you're capable. We know that you're able, mm. but this is what we're looking for you to do. And mm. this is, these are the sounds that we're looking for you to play. Um, Michael Chislett and Ben Tenikoff and some of those guys work really hard to craft some of the sounds. And so we share them and, or, and we try to replicate them. And it's not a, oh, but I like this one better. It's 
kind of the process of this is how the song was created and we submit to that. It's like if someone was leading Cornerstone, they wouldn't just lead their own version. Mm. They lead the melody because right. it's established. And so quite simply, we bring we bring kind of our backpack of gifts that we have mm. and we submit it and I go, okay, well, what's required for this mm. service? Okay, a piano sound is what's required. A, this synth sound is what's required for this mm. song. And that's how I best serve. Mm. And then outworking kind of into creative process and management, everyone's got different ways of how they think through things and arrive at different conclusions. Mm. And I think so long as we can encourage people to um, have the same outcome as us. Mm. The way that we get there is very different. The way that my husband, JP, processes getting to a decision and me arriving at the same decision is very different. Mm. But so long as we can work out a great way, Mm. we don't want to create clones in church. Mm. We Mm. don't want to say that everyone's got to be exactly the same. As a team, we do encourage diversity, Mm. but not at the expense of a division Mm. or unity. There's someone that's obviously sticking out like a sore thumb. We Mm. would have a conversation about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's an element of there's the person and what they're bringing and then there's the leadership aspect too of being confident as a leader, confident enough to hear what the person has to offer if that makes sense. So so in a creative process, if, if um, like you said, JP, your husband, he thinks differently, um, sometimes it takes courage as a leader to actually listen to that person's perspective 100%. and how they see it yes. and not be... Um, not be put off by the fact that they're different. They're they're not saying you're bad or that you've got it wrong. And vice versa, I feel like just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you've got it all all right. Um, And so I wonder if having confidence in your position under God as the leader, you can maybe listen to the person's different creative process and perhaps it might even inform the way forward. I find it so, so it's so easy to have already thought through something, to know where you want to be, to work out all the steps to get there, and then to not even want to hear yes. anybody else's opinion because you already know where you want to be. <laughs> and you're like, I'm the leader, I should just go there. But in actual fact, the better way might be to um, to listen to the person. Totally. And then if if you're the person, the thing might be, and I think um, in our um, musicians sort of example, the thing might be to be faithful and serve and wait for the opportunity for your for your voice to be heard 100%. rather than just trying to push your creative process onto the existing leader. Yeah. Um, and, and also we have environments for creativity. So I think within right. our church, um, we have times where we're workshopping a song mm-hmm. and that's your time if you're invited into that space yeah. to bring new sounds right. and to experiment. Mm-hmm. We don't experiment. We wouldn't experiment with sounds on the weekend. That's the time where right. actually people are listening. Right. Um, and so there's times where the creative process is allowed for mm-hmm. whoever's in the room. Mm-hmm. And even the same thing with management. We we do, you guys have um, started something called First Fridays where we bring a whole bunch of leaders into the office and mm-hmm. actually kind of deconstruct and have open and honest conversations where we listen to everyone's different perspective on a topic and it's really helpful but it's contained to that it's contained to that that time if throughout the week all of your leaders are just spouting out what they think to you and Cass it's not necessarily a helpful environment but we've established that there's some forums Mm. that you can come and express you can dream about anything Mm. there's no bad idea and I feel like that's really helpful to Mm. go Hey, we need you to stick within these guidelines, mm. but we will allow, you know, there's specific areas and times where you guys can just dream and, mm. you know, the sky's the limit. Mm. And that's, I think, really helped contribute towards our creative process as a team. Mm. Yeah. And one last thought on that. I think that it does help to have an agreed creative process to be all working towards 
um, to know where you're working towards and the steps to get there. And so as the leader, um, whether that's molding your process to what, what others, you know, bring, or whether that's just something that you bring yourself, agreeing on that and knowing what that is and working together on that really helps because, um, otherwise you'll have the musicians working to one process and the, um, the creative technology guys or the production guys working to another, and then the TV film people working to another, and then none of your, none of your steps line up and then you're just frustrating Mm. each other. And so, yeah, having some sort of process, even if it's really simple, it does really help. And so uh, in the end, we know that God blesses unity. So having unity around the creative process is going to help. Oh, can I say one more thing on that as well? In creativity, everything is subjective. Yeah. So there's no one right way to do anything. Mm. So if you're the leader, you think your way is right, but it's not necessarily, who's to say that someone else's way isn't right? So one of the things that I love about uh, how you guys lead our team is the the blessing is in submission. So it's not necessarily as in whose idea it is that let's just stick to one idea and let's stick to one process. Mm. So if it's what you and Cass um, set out, then the blessing isn't in whether I fight for my idea. Mm. The blessing is that we all work together on that one process. Mm. I think that can really help creatives because everyone has their own way, but the blessing is actually in just submitting and working together. Yeah. So, Doyle, I hope that answers your question and that you'll be able to get your creative process humming. All right, so we've got a great question here from Elisha. How do I build a high-level team? Go. High-level team. (laughs) Wow, that's a big question, Rich. You might have your own thoughts and wisdom to input into this as you are one of our high-level leaders (laughs) and pastors with us. Um, I think one of the key steps, because on our team, we've got a lot of worship leaders, we've got people that travel, most people that you would see on the platform on a weekend that maybe if you watch streaming would have multiple roles. So for instance, Dave Ware, that many people see leading worship, also is one of our chaplains and runs a lot of different things on a weekend, would coach and mentor some of our worship leaders. Nigel Hendroff, that many people know is one of our kind of best music directors, also has a role where he looks after a lot of our music creates music for our conferences, obviously goes on tours. Pretty much all of our staff have uh, multiple roles. Mm. The question as to how you build that, I think that it's uh, helping people prioritize and helping everyone understand kind of what we need of them. Mm. So I think as church grows, things develop Mm. and roles develop. And I think we probably early on, everyone's role started to change and go, oh, I'm, I'm bigger than, my role is bigger than just playing on a weekend. And so I think one thing we do is we separate sometimes weekend and midweek. Mm-hmm. So on a weekend, I'm one of our creative pastors. And so I serve whatever team I'm at. And then midweek, I've got kind of some management roles mm-hmm. with you and Cass. And so I think for me in my head, I kind of go, am I serving on a weekend in my creative pastor role? And during the week, am I doing some of these other things? And I think it's constant juggle. And I think how you you build that is just by sharing the vision of going, mm. we need everyone to step up and actually creating the new normal. Mm. I think that's what we did a few years ago was going, mm. oh, we we need Nigel, we need you touring, but we also need you creating music and mm. we also need you playing on a weekend. Mm. And I think when we established it as a normal, it became normal. Yeah. Would you say that to build high level sort of teams, you you have to expect a lot of people? Yes. And so then that that <laughs> good check. Then the capacity. I don't know if that's the right answer. That but. people have. Do you have you found from your experience that they have capacity for 
lots of stuff straight away or they have to grow it over time? Everyone's different. It's right. a great question. I think that some people have endless capacity and you can keep, they're kind of like a pegboard. You can keep just throwing things at them and it sticks and it's amazing and they have endless capacity. Mm. Other people you'll find will either reach their capacity mm. um, and not be able to function with anything more on their plate. And sometimes that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's kind of born with different capacities and other people need time to grow. Mm. So I think I think as leaders, it's up to us to steward people and mm-hmm. figure that out. Mm-hmm. Figure out the people that have endless capacity and can always take on more stuff. Figure out the people that need to grow and then figure out the people that maybe should only have one or two things on their plate mm-hmm. and can be absolute specialists mm-hmm. with those one or two things. Yeah, right. um, and I think if we misplace people, we can end up doing damage to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sometimes on us as leaders to, mm-hmm. to figure some of that out. Um and make sure we place people appropriately. Yeah. It's really easy to um, have a whole bunch of things you need to get done and therefore you just sort of throw them at old people and hope or, or wish <laughs> that they've got the capacity for it. Yes, or, or, or even as a leader, be disappointed when they don't yes. or when they when they don't want to do it. Yes. And so then I, I wonder if as well, we're, we're blessed with a, a great culture of serving here over many years people know that's what we do and we're all in to do whatever we need to do but if you're in a church situation where you don't have that culture of of sort of just giving your all to build this particular you know church then i wonder if you have to start with that and then work on getting the stuff done or or finding those appropriate people for the areas of service like you're saying um and then maybe they go hand in hand the culture and giving people the right stuff and not too much stuff and all of that comes back to you as the leader having to manage all that. And sometimes if people aren't able to do it or don't have capacity for it, either you find someone else or you do it yourself. And maybe there's a, a lesson in that of if you don't have the people who uh, high capacity people may, maybe just maybe it's because you're, you don't yeah, have high totally. capacity yeah, and you're yeah. modeling an environment or a culture where you just offload onto other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah rather totally. than you growing your capacity, showing that to be the way you do it, creating the culture of high capacity leadership and then uh, inspiring people with that. And like you say, as well, just um, giving people what they can and perhaps even stretching them a little bit over time. Totally. Yeah. I feel like it's modeled for us here at Hillsong exactly. if you're a part of church. Mm. Um, and we also are very unashamed saying that we're a high commitment church. Mm. So if you join up to any one of our teams, we're kind of unashamed in saying, oh, you know, if you join our teams, we are a high commitment church. And I feel like sometimes that helps people because mm. then they know what they're signing up to. Mm. And so if they think that they can only do one thing, they mm. probably will say that. And I think if you're le- looking to build a high level team, maybe it's good to just straight out say that <laughs> and right. say, I'm, I'm looking for a team that, you know, is going to be high capacity. Mm. If you think you can do this, do you want to be a part of my team? Or mm. I feel like that's worked for us that we're pretty unashamed about yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I, like you say, that's modeled from Pastor Brian and Bobby where they're, they're committed to building the vision of Hillsong Church yeah. and inviting people to be a part of that. And I think that flows through to Creative where we invite people to be a part of Pastor Brian and Bobby's vision to build Hillsong Church and therefore we're going to expect a lot. Yes. And, um, and then the challenge <laughs> is, which I guess you could speak to as well, but the challenge then is once you've got a willing person who is high capacity and they're giving a lot, making sure as a leader that you're looking after them too. 100%. So yes. all of a sudden you've got this culture where they're willing, you've, everyone's all in, 
but you're using them so much that their family's neglected. <laughs> you're flogging them. Or, yeah, and then that's not a, that's not okay yeah. too. It's almost at the other extreme. Yes. But I guess we've been looking at that with, as far as vitality and making sure that, that our team's vitality, long-term ability to serve is is at our for, the forefront of our thinking rather than um, an afterthought or even not caring. Hey, so thanks, Orts. Elisha, I hope that answers your question. If you're a regular listener, then you'll know that this is a bonus episode because we're currently just on a short break uh, preparing for season five of the podcast. But if you're new, hey, I'd encourage you to subscribe so that when we come back with our weekly episodes, um, you'll be the first to get it and you won't miss out on anything. In the break, though, why don't you check out some of our older episodes and we'll talk to you soon.